burning man. Burning man. Anybody ever heard of Burning Man? No? Burning Man is a popular annual festival celebrating the casting off of society's restraints. Uh, it has evolved over the years into your typical festival that's just all about being profitable, but it had its beginning at it's thumbing your nose at the man. Okay, you burnt the man in effigy. Uh, the man, government controls, society controls. Uh, and so in its earliest manifestations, it had roots in this bohemian free spirit and anarchy. That's kind of what, you know, just no rules. Let's just do what we want, be what we want. And they did it out in the, in the middle of the desert there, about 100 miles northeast of Reno, in a place called Black Rock. And, and that's where they, they still hold uh, Burning Man. Uh, and they've been doing it, I don't know, a couple decades, but this is the first year, 2020, not this year, 2021, but 2020 is the first year they've ever canceled it. So instead of uh, having Burning Man, a bunch of them gathered on the beach in San Francisco and did it anyway, uh, and then a bunch of people got sick, <laughs> you know. So casting off the rules of society <laughs> don't always uh, work out for you. Uh, and so, you know, while it's, you know, I would, not being influenced by society, it, it has, can be a very positive thing, right? That, that can be good. We teach that. Be in, in this world, not of it, you know, and that has its positive connotations. But ignoring the laws that govern society usually ends up with somebody gets a broken nose or a, a bloody nose or they lose an eye, right? It's all fun and games, they say, <laughs> until someone loses an eye. And, and so sin can be described rather accurately as spiritual anarchy. I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. I want to do whatever I want. No rules. No rules. And there's this, there's this stream, if you will. I, I hesitate to call it a stream because streams make it sound good. More like a sewage pipeline in the church. <laughs> Let's look at it that way. Of this teaching about grace that really paints grace as sort of a do-whatever-you-want kind of thing. We call that cheap grace, those of us who recognize it, where you cheapen the grace and the mercy of God. But that is so attractive. Oh, I've got, there's no condemnation. That means I can do whatever I want. No, that's not what that means. It, what that means is I'm not going to hold your sin against you anymore. Uh, I think the best example of this, the perfect example of this, is the woman caught in adultery. She's caught in adultery. Jesus does not condemn her. He says that clearly, painstakingly clear. You are not condemned. I do not condemn you. You're free. Now go straighten up your act. This is the very next phrase that comes out. He says, go and sin no more. But he's like, now, now that you're free, you're not free from just the punishment. You're free from the power that this sin held over you. You're free from its control now. You no longer have to obey it. That's what we're going to talk about today. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Do you remember that one rule that we had in the garden? <laughs> just one rule? It wasn't a slew. It wasn't, you know, oh, there's just so many rules. It, it, just one rule. 
and we broke it. Why? Because we can't handle control. We can't handle having to yield to someone. But what God is trying to explain to us is this is the path to freedom. The path to freedom is yieldedness. Romans 6.23. Remember that one rule, right? Govern the society in the Garden of Eden. And we chose to cast it off. And the result of that anarchy, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the result. It's just physics, basically. It's like if you don't obey the laws that govern your society. And when we talk about our society, we're talking about life in God. There's a way to live in God and the way not to live in God. And if you cast off the way to live in God, the path is a path of destruction. A path of destruction. Jesus offers us a completely different path, but it is to freedom. This one claims to be the path of freedom, but is actually the path of death. Jesus calls this, ironically enough, pick up your cross <laughs> and follow me. Die daily. He calls it the path of death, but what does it lead us to? Freedom. This one claims to be the path of freedom, but it leads us to death. This is how Jesus takes everything and turns it upside down. I don't know if that's true. I think it's actually the enemy took it and turned it upside down for us. And that's why we bought it. We're like, oh, this is the way out? And that looks much more appealing. Don't have to follow any rules. I'm my own boss. I get to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And it's going to make me like God. And I'll have absolute freedom. In the day that you eat of that fruit, your death begins. And Jesus says, die to that. Die to self. And be alive in me. And I'm going to lead you to that true freedom, absolute freedom, a living, breathing freedom that can never be taken away from you. It's a different path. As appealing as the bohemian path, the anarchy path, it leads only to regret. So this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at the whole chapter here. Uh, we're going to kind of zoom through it a little bit, but it'll give us a better picture of this concept in verse 1 of Romans 6, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We're familiar with Paul saying that. But he writes this. He says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And as the Christmas carol says, Be near me, Lord Jesus. Do you know these words? Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me I pray, bless all the dear children in thy tender care. And this is the line I want you to grab onto. And fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Fit us for heaven to live with thee there. This month we've been talking about the redeeming and the restoring and the refining love of God. The redeeming love of God 
is where death is defeated. Death is defeated. The power is gone. Uh, the, Egypt's power. Egypt is a type of sin and death, and Egypt's power is made null and void. The prison bars are open, if you will, if that picture works for you, or the stone has been rolled away. Remember when Jesus went to go and visit Lazarus? You know, he said, roll away the stone. That was the moment. People think, oh, when, when was it? That was the moment that the grave lost its hold on Lazarus, when the stone was rolled away, when the prison doors were open. The restoring love of God brings us out of Egypt, out of that foreign land, to the other side of the Red Sea through baptism. And we leave the prison behind as free people. That's when we come out of the tomb, when Lazarus came out of the tomb, right? He was restored. He's back, right? The, the, the tomb was rolled away. Death is defeated. Now he, and then he restored you. Come on out. Come back to us. Come the prodigal son, right? When was death defeated in that story? When the son came to his senses and decided to come home. When was he restored? When his father ran to meet him on the road and hugged him and embraced him. And what did his son smell like? Pigs, right? That he was restored. He was restored. And so we see the redeeming love and the restoring love but now we see the refining love. And that's what we're talking about today. The refining love of God delivers you out of Egypt through the Red Sea and then immediately takes you into the wilderness for 40 years. Oh, Pastor David, we were looking for, you know, a hug and, you know, some velvet cake or something. <laughs> no, I mean, he gave him manna. But in the meantime, we're going we're gonna to learn. We're going to grow. I'm going to refine you. By what? by fire. That's why we call him the true burning man. He's going to refine you by fire. Sends us to, you know, we get out of prison, we go first to the halfway house. What do you go to a halfway house for? It's not to protect society anymore. It's to train you, to retrain you, to show you again how to walk as a free person, how to live in the free world. Because so many people get out of prison and they're just thrown back into, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff and they don't know how to handle it. So they just break a roll just so they can get back into prison because <laughs> they don't know how to cope because they haven't been trained. You notice that in spiritual lives as well? You know, oh, you're a Christian. Well, all right, here's a Sunday school class that you're going to teach. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> I, just, I just now became one. <laughs> you know, you don't want to throw me into the, into the fire. Now let's train them, let's equip them, let's see them begin to learn to walk with God. Or the Lazarus story, that love, this refining love of God begins to strip off our grave clothes. That was the very next command. He's like, here's your brother, now unwrap him. Take those clothes off of him, they don't belong to him anymore. Those are old grave clothes. Get him some new clothes, give him a bath. <laughs> Boy needs a bath. Prodigal son. Come here, son. Hugs him. Oh, I love you. I've missed you. You smell like a pigsty. Let's get him a new robe. <laughs> let's give him a bath first, and then let's give him a new robe and go and kill the fatted calf. We're having a party. Because my son who was lost has now been returned.
this refining love of God fits us for our new reality. It fits us, as the psalmist says, fit us for heaven to live with thee there. I would say, you know, my definition of heaven, I, I, I believe in a, you know, an ethereal place called heaven, but I think a better definition of heaven is anywhere God is. Anywhere that God is. And if God is in your heart, heaven is in your heart. It's the presence of God. That can only grow. That can only get better. You know, the little taste of heaven that we have now in our walk with God is only going to grow and only going to get better. But it grows and it gets better as we are refined, as we are made more fit for that presence. He withholds the fullness of his presence from you, not because he's disgusted by your sin, but because he cares for you. And he knows if he let loose on you completely, you ever seen those bugs run into the, the zapper? <laughs> Just that quick. That's what it would be like if we walked into the face of God full glory. We would be like, there wouldn't be much of us left. And so in his mercy and in his grace, he says, I'm going to give you a measure of my fullness. And oh, I want to, I want to dwell in you completely. That's what the book of Colossians is about. I want to dwell in you completely. I want to be in you so much that when the world looks at you, it doesn't see anyone but my son. I want to abide in you and you to abide in me, and I want to transform you. But he also understands that that might take a long time <laughs> to work out in our lives. But that's this process. How long did it take Israel to be refined in the desert? How long did it, did, and that was just to fit them for the promised land. That was just a physical reality. That was, we're not even talking about heaven. And so our journeys with God, this refining love of God, is pretty much, in my opinion, this is what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> you know, I've been redeemed. I've been restored. That's a reality. This refining, whew, it's about to wear me out. <laughs> you know? But that's what it means to be a Christian. You show up every day for the crucible. You show up every day to allow God to work in you the image of his son. It's training. You know, some people say training to, to train to reign, you know, but it's this training in righteousness, training and, and completing the good work that God has started. You know, the Hebrews tells us that. He who began that good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. It's because he is the author and the finisher of your faith. But, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could just say, well, I was saved in such and such a date, and that's it. That's done. We're good. And I can go on and live my life. I think we've already established that doing that is the path to destruction. Doing it our way, doing it the way we choose, and abandoning the call of God to righteousness, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Verse 5, chapter 6. Remember, I lied to you. I said we were going to go through this quick. We have been united with him in death, and we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You see the, the, the brought to nothing? It's, it's, it's a process. That implies a process. It's not like, boom, it's done. But that body of sin, it doesn't change overnight. It doesn't, I mean, that's my story. Is that your story? 
You know, it doesn't change overnight. It changes bit by bit, little, little tiny steps, baby steps. You know, remember Bill Murray and what about Bob? It's baby steps, baby steps. You don't just transform your life overnight. You transform your life step by step, continuing on, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. See, Jesus is the perfect demonstration for us. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. So, verse 11, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we're talking about a change in our thinking about ourselves. There's this popular notion in the church where we say, I'm a Christian, but I'm only human. Now, you teachers, <laughs> I guess there's only... <laughs> when we say the word but, what does that do to everything that came before it? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> do you not know... I'm a Christian, but <laughs> what you're saying is here's, here's why that doesn't apply. <laughs> My faith in Christ doesn't fix the fact that I'm only human. Can you think of anything more blasphemous? My faith in Christ has no application to the way I live day to day and my, my addiction to sin. <laughs> my faith in Christ is just for the hereafter, not the here and now. And there's nothing, nothing further from the truth. You say, no, I am a Christian and I am being transformed. I was saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. It is a long-term, lifelong process. I was saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. God's still working on me. Remember that song? To make me what I ought to be. You know, don't, it, the, the moon and the stars, right? Jupiter and Mars. <laughs> Just like that. But you, you're a work in progress. And why? Why are you a work in progress? Is it because you're a lot of work? No. It's because you, you know, not like the stars and the moon and the rivers, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You're different. You have been made in the image of God. You can't do that like that. You've been made in the image of God. That is a process that takes time. You have to learn who you are. You have to grow into it. It's like last year teaching Levi how to ride his bike with no training wheels. Do you remember not being able to ride your bike? I know. See, he can't just ride without training wheels. Now he can ride standing up. And he can put his leg off. You watch. One of these days, that boy is going to be popping a wheelie going down the road. Why? Because it's not just, oh, I learned to ride a bike back when I was five. He's still learning. You get it? 
He's still learning. He's still growing. He's still becoming. Fearfully, wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, it says in verse 12, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. This implies a choice, right? It means that sin doesn't have control over you. If you sin, it's because you made the decision to do it. You didn't just find yourself there going, oh, I don't know how this happened. You made the decision to go there. I'm guilty of this. Do not present your members as sins, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. And this grace is not license, okay? We, we've got to change our thinking. As Joyce Meyer says, that, that's stinking thinking. We don't want to do that. Stop thinking of grace as license to be what you want to be. Think of grace as the strength and the power of God to be what you were created to be. That's what grace is. It's not license to be and do what you want to be and do. It's the power of God to be what you were created to be, which is a child of God, made in his image, right? We'd really have to change our thinking about what grace is. It is true that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but we're meant not to cheapen and abuse God's mercy and his grace. Rather, as, as Romans 12 puts it, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Or some versions say this is your reasonable act of worship. This is what makes sense. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Those folks who go out to the desert to celebrate being free spirits, they don't realize that they're actually conforming to the pattern of this world. The very thing they're claiming to cast off to do it their way. That's that's old. <laughs> That's as old as the garden. That's the very first burning man right there. Hey, we're not supposed to do this, but let's eat this fruit. And they did it. And immediately their eyes were opened and they realized what they'd done was wrong. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. doesn't mean you can get away with sin now. It's not license. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You understand? You see the process there? It leads you to righteousness. It doesn't seal the deal and you're done. You know, it's like a cake. You know, well, yeah, it's finished. Enjoy the cake. No, this is, this is crockpot Christianity. It takes time. OK? 
okay? It takes time. It's not microwave. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. As Bob Dylan, in his words, you got to serve somebody, right? you got to serve somebody. Obeying Christ transforms us. It fits us for heaven. It fits us for more of his presence in our lives. Paul says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. I love it when Paul writes things like that. He's like, I'm dumbing this down for you. I'm trying to make this so you can understand it. And I'm like, I didn't understand it. <laughs> because he dumbed it down for me, but he needs to go a little, a little lower. But what he's saying is, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And, and that's an oversimplification is what he's saying there. But what he's saying is, if you continue to sin, it just breeds more sin. But if you want to be righteous, you've got to do something righteous. And it leads to more righteousness. It's a little more complicated than that, Paul's saying. But the basics are this. You want to be righteous? Start practicing. <laughs> Start practicing righteousness. It'll become more familiar to you. It'll become more habit to you. You do good in obedience and this works goodness into your character. Righteousness is, you can think of it as a muscle. But if you don't use it, <laughs> You lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... The fruit you get leads to sanctification, holiness, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can choose to either burn the man in effigy, or we could allow the man to come and burn his righteousness in us. I'll be the first to admit that that does not sound comfortable. <laughs> That's not the most inviting. You want me to what? <laughs> you know, if that were a YouTube ad, you'd skip it. Let's get on with the show. Because this, this one, boy, this one's selling like hotcakes. No pun intended. <laughs> this one is, is just super inviting. It's super popular. And there are legions of souls embracing this path. But we don't have to because Jesus has set us free. Now that legions, of, think about that. And that leads to, to something else that we need to talk about eventually. What are we going to do about that? Right? What are we going to do about that? But for now, let's figure out where we're at. Are we plodding along? Doing doing the things that everybody does because eh, it's, it's all right? Or are we saying, Jesus, where are you leading me today? Each and every one of us, 
I'm going to leave you with this challenge, and then we're going to sing our, our response. Each and every one of us needs to daily ask the question, where am I following you with this cross today? Where am I following you with this cross today? Where am I following you with this cross today? One of the things I want to caution you, and we're going to sing our doxology, I'm going to say a little bit more. We're not done yet. But I want to caution you. You've heard this thing about sanctification. But we must always keep in mind that this is an act of grace. It's not an act of human power. It's not an act of, of human will even. We yield. That's our job. Our job is to yield to his call and then to be empowered. That's why that song is Breathe on me, Breath of God. If this is going to happen... This is going to have to be you, because I have demonstrated time and time again that I cannot do it. Every single time, if left to my own devices, flat on my face. Every single time. But when I yield to him and I allow him to fill me and strengthen me, to melt me and make me and mold me and use me, it works out. All right, well, first, before I give the benediction, I'll see as many of you as possible next week for in-person worship. You who are watching online, come and join us. All right, come and join us. Again, details forthcoming. John 15, verses 1 through 5 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. <laughs> That's encouraging, <laughs> right? With every branch that does bear fruit, though, he prunes. It just gets better, right? Even the good branches get pruned so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean. There's no condemnation, okay? You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But remain in me as I also remain in you. Abide. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine you are the branches. The strength comes from Jesus. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, may you bravely place your life into the Father's fiery, refining love. May you set your face like flint toward the purifying hand of God. And may you take courage in his winnowing fork, the, wing, the winnowing fork of love and refining as the author and the finisher of your faith completes the good work that he has started in you. Amen. Let's go in peace and we'll listen to the postlude. Mm -hmm.